thing. So open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13. We're working our way through the book of Hosea on Sunday mornings, but you may remember I didn't finish um, the very last three verses of 2 Corinthians. I wanted to start the Hosea series right after Easter, and so I put this off a little bit. But anyway, I'm back to these three verses. We'll come back to Hosea next week. And if you'll open your Bibles there, we're going to look at that together. I just wanted to say a word, too, about Memorial Day. One of the things I love about FBCO is that we have um, a lot of connections to military types. And those of you who have served in the military or, or uh, are serving or will serve, God bless you and we're thankful for you. And I just, at least, I think the civilians here, uh, me included, we're, we're grateful for you. We appreciate the sacrifices that you make on our behalf and I just want to say God bless you. Uh, and yeah, that's all right. We can clap for them. Sure. And um, my wife is not here today. She is not just skipping church, but she is. Um, so her, her mother, my mother-in-law fell, and she's got some memory issues anyway. She fell, and uh, it's in the hospital in St. Louis. So Vicky's there. Vicky just is a help to her in that situation. So she won't be back, uh, be with me when I'm back at Connection Point, that sort of thing. But Lord willing, she'll be back with us next week. Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians Chapter 13, I want to read beginning with verse 11. Let's follow along these three verses together at the very end as we talk about last words. The Bible says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send you greetings. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Well, let's talk about these last words Paul says at the end of this letter, finally, and it gives some last words. Sometimes last words can be really meaningful. It used to be more common people to really notice last words, and often they were about faith or about family. I think my favorite last words are um, this older hypochondriac lady said her final words were, see, I told you I was sick. That was her final words. And so whenever it kind of comes at the end, it's like the summary in a letter or something. And Paul, who's writing this letter to the church at Corinth, wants to say some things, and they have some significance. They mean something. So let's note three things um, from this passage, these last words that stand out for us, and I encourage you to write these three things down. Number one, Paul says, do the right things. And I say Paul says, but it really is the Word of God, and so we can say God the Holy Spirit speaking to us, It's not just for Corinth long ago, but God writing for us. He's saying, do the right things. Often the Bible talks about what we do and our moral behavior. The the Bible, the faith, the gospel is about more than just self-improvement, more than just moral behavior, but certainly it includes God's admonition for us to do the right things. And knowing Christ as Savior doesn't change the fact that God wants us to, to do the right things and to live in the right way. And so here in verse 11, he talks about five specific things that we are to do. Let's note them together as he talks to the church of Corinth and as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. So he says, um, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice. There's the first one I want you to note, rejoice. So one of the right things, one of the things God wants us to do is to rejoice, or we might say it like this, it's right to appreciate your blessings. So God wants us to rejoice. Often the Bible talks about joy or rejoicing, I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I am whiny 
I just get whiny sometimes. I'm just, I'll, be, I'll just confess to you. I get whiny. I, get, I complain sometimes. I get, I, this just happens to me. It probably doesn't happen to any of you. I'm probably the only one in this room that ever has that whininess, that ever gets kind of complaining. Think, yeah, some of you nodding your head like I'm the only one. That you're, probably, you're probably in this same boat too, aren't you? Yeah, you, we know that tendency. We can whine and complain. And, and so when the Bible talks about rejoicing, man, and, and by the way, why, what's not to whine about? There's plenty of problems in the world, correct? I mean, while we're on the subject of whininess, there's plenty of things to whine about. We've got problems and difficulties. It's a fallen, broken world. There's all kinds of things that go wrong. And so how can God talk about joy and rejoicing when circumstances are such as they are? When there's difficulties and problems? I thought about as a family in our church, been members for years, and the husband... Uh, father, grandfather passed away. Ira Lilly, some of you may know the Lilly family. Ira Lilly just, uh, you know, served in the military for a long time, been in our church for a long time, deacon here. So the Lilly family, one of the reasons we love them among many things is just their joy. You see it in their life and they had joy. They just, they laughed a lot, told lots of stories. Those of you who have known that family would certainly know that. And it's not that they didn't ever have problems. It's not that they didn't ever have difficulties. It's not that they were immune to the fallen nature of our world. But somewhere along the way, they chose joy. They chose to rejoice. And I just remind you that one of the ways that we do this is just to appreciate the blessings we have. And while there are plenty of problems in this world, I think the enemy is very effective in uh, reminding us of the problems, but helping us to try to forget the, the blessings. And so could I just encourage you, this weekend to spend a little time counting some of the blessings that you have and noting the way God has blessed you. And do we, are there problems around us? Absolutely. But there are also blessings around us. And so the Bible says to us, rejoice. Even in the middle of problems and difficulties and circumstances, we rejoice. And, and listen, there are moments here where we can be kind of somber, where the music is in a minor key, but we have joy underlying all of that because there's a resurrection at the end of the cross. I mean, there's the promises that God gives to us about the future in the middle of the brokenness of this world. And so I want to encourage you to do the right thing and rejoice. A second thing he tells us to do is become mature. One of the right things is to become mature. Verse 11 says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice and become mature. So it's right to grow in your faith. God wants you to grow in your faith. He wants you to become mature. Uh, I love toddlers. Man, what a beautiful, it's a, a really fun age, that little toddler stage, cute. And they can be just, oh man, just a cute little stage. And they call out in a service or something. It just doesn't bother me. The little two-year-old's doing something. Now, if they're 22 and they do something, it's, it's not as cute anymore, you know? If the two-year-old says no, it's one thing. But the 22-year-old, it gets a little more problematic. The two-year-old, we understand the immaturity of the two-year-old, but there's a point at which we say, you've got to kind of grow up and you've got to begin to gain some maturity. And certainly that is true spiritually. Some of you are brand new to faith or considering faith or looking into faith. And man, we are delighted that you are. And if you're a new Christian, you might not even know what you don't know yet. But God wants you to grow. Don't stay a baby Christian. And far too many Christians are satisfied to remain immature, spiritually speaking. They've never learned more about God's Word in any really meaningful way. They've never really struggled to understand what God is teaching them or to apply it in their life. 
God wants you to gain some maturity. How you make decisions, how you treat people, how you deal with the problems of your past, how you overcome the struggles in your own personality or background. That's all a part of maturity. And if you're staying, if you're remaining in immaturity, then God's saying to you, the Holy Spirit saying to us, hey, grow up. Don't stay a baby forever. But you mature. Learn how to apply wisdom in your life. and Learn how to think differently. And learn how to overcome the problems and struggles of your past. And God helps us with these things. And then the Bible says, be encouraged. Did you notice that in the text? Be encouraged. The Bible talks about encouragement a good deal. It's right to remember God's presence and his work. I think one of the reasons God talks to us about encouragement so often is because discouragement comes easily. Now, if I had you, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if I had you raise your hand, if you were, if you were discouraged, I'm not going to have you do that, but if you were going to, many of you would not raise your hand even if you are discouraged because you feel like I can't ever admit that I have some discouragement or that I struggle in any way and the enemy is really good at uh, discouragement anyway, and he's good at keeping you in discouragement. That's one of the ways he does it. But if I did have you raise your hand, and if you were gut-level honest about it, can I just tell you, many people, many people here this day would raise their hand. Many. Because discouragement comes easily. This is a broken, fallen world. And discouragement comes easily, and the enemy's super good at discouraging. So, Perhaps one of the reasons God brought you here is to remind you he wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to remember his presence in this fallen, broken world. And he wants you to remember that he's doing a work in you in this fallen, broken world. And he wants you to be encouraged. In fact, some of you are here because God in heaven wants you to be an encourager. He wants you to be a means by which other people gain encouragement in this discouraged world. The, in, the enemy is discouraging all the time, but in this discouraged world. God wants to use you like a Barnabas in this world to help other people be encouraged. And God in heaven gives you his word. In fact, one of the final things Paul says to the church at Corinth is, hey, man, you be encouraged in this difficult world. I know Corinth's hard. The culture's sort of ugly toward Christians in Corinth. You know, in Corinth, they're not like saying, oh, oh, you're going to church. Man, Oh, you're getting baptized. Oh, so happy. You're following the Lord. You started having a quiet time. Great. No, the culture's not saying that at Corinth. Nor are they saying that perhaps in the culture you're in right here. And so the Bible is telling us we're encouraged, certainly by others, but we're encouraged by the Lord himself. And he tells us we can remember his presence and his work in the middle of this discouraging world. The fourth thing he says is be of the same mind. Notice that in verse 11 be of the same mind. This seems like, this seems sort of impossible. But the Bible is telling us it's right to unite around God and his word. Because we're not united around anything else. We're not united around sports. Some of you like different sports. Some of you don't like sports at all. We're not united around music. All kinds of different musical tastes. Or literature. Or hobbies. Or personality. Or background. We are, we are in so many ways so different. And the world, of course, loves to divide us over everything that it can. What is, what is the hope of being of the same mind? Doesn't that sound impossible? Except, if I, as I gain the mind of Christ, 
begin to think about the world as God thinks about it, to see the world as God sees it. And you gain the mind of Christ and begin to think about the world as God thinks about it and see the world as God sees it. The more united we are, we can have the same mind because we recognize the purposes and plans of the Lord. And that's the only thing that will unite us, man. We, we could be divided over a thousand things, but we are united in Christ, people with every sort of different background and every sort of different personality. And God brings us together and he makes us one in Christ, not one in our preferences or any of the other things, but one in Christ. It's one of the great blessings God gives to us. And then the Bible says, be at peace, be at peace doesn't feel like a very peaceful world, does it? It does not feel like a very peaceful world. There's war and battle and struggle and pain and hardship in this world. I remind our military types that you have job security. The Bible says until the end of the age, there will be wars and rumors of war. You have some, certainly some security in that sense. And it doesn't feel like, a, it doesn't feel like peace is very prominent in our generation but the Bible is saying it's right to trust God in every circumstance, in every circumstance. So while we can't trust the circumstances, we can't trust the details of our world, we can trust God's promises, and we can trust God's presence in this broken, fallen world. Sometimes people say, why why do things happen? And often I find myself saying, "I, I, I don't know, save knowing that it is a fallen, broken world. And I'm reminded of that more and more all the time. It's a broken, fallen world. It's a world where sin has affected everything, infected everything. But I can't always understand why. Someone said it like this. An old preacher long ago said it like this. When you can't trace God's hand, you can trust God's heart. And sometimes I can't trace his hand. I don't know why things are happening as they are. I just tell you, sometimes I can't answer the question why. But I know that I can trust God's heart. I can trust God's heart through it all. And I can find peace, not because of the circumstances, not the absence of problems, not that suddenly the world has become perfect, but because I can trust the Lord himself, his presence and his person. And when I trust his his promises and when I trust him, that's where I can find peace. So we do the right things. There's a there's second principle I want you to know. So I said do the right things. Now secondly, do the right things together. So Paul, when he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth and God the Holy Spirit giving it to us, is saying I want you to do the right things, but you don't do it alone. You do it together. Notice how he says it in uh, places like verse 11. Finally, he says brothers and sisters. He's talking about our association here. You know, we have an association, we're part of a family, we're associated together, brothers and sisters. And by the way, if you are like, you see that you're in Christ, you're in a family, if the role of the crazy uncle is already full, so don't like, that, don't like make that your goal to take that role. Plenty of people have taken the role of the crazy uncle. But God makes us family together, and we become brothers and sisters. And it's part of the, the, part of the joy and the difficulty of family life we're brothers and sisters, and we have to learn how to get along and how to see, see our world, even though we have different perspectives, even different spiritual gifts. We have to learn how to connect and how to love each other and how to work together and how to overcome our past and our problems and our difficulties and our hang-ups and all of those things. God makes us family. He puts us together as family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. 
This means something. That's our association. He talks about our affection. Go to verse 12. It says in verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. Did you see that? Can I remind you, there is an adjective there before the word kiss. The kind of kiss. I point this out because we do have some teenage boys in the room right now. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I just want, I felt like I should point that out. Now, the idea here is the kind of affection that we have for each other. We greet each other. It's still common in many cultures to uh, maybe you know, kiss each side of the face or something. And certainly in our culture, we hug or we handshake or we do the fist bump or something. That connection, um, is, it's nice. It's a, it's a reminder of our uh, affection for each other. It's a reminder of our connection. God made us for affection. We're not just in a family. Some of you are in a family and all you do is fight. God put you in a family and he made it for affection. He wants you to learn to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants you to learn how to overcome the struggles or disagreements or difficulties of life. And then notice our attention. He says in verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss and all the saints send you greetings. So Paul's saying, hey, you're not, you're not like off on your own here. But all the saints, all the believers, far from Corinth, Corinth where they felt very isolated and alone, all these other Christians in other parts of the world, they're thinking about you. And they're saying, you matter to us. And we care about you. And we send you greetings. It's one of the reasons I emphasize so much life groups, or adult life groups. We have life groups for all ages, but you adults who are here, can I just urge you to get in the life group? And some of you have heard about life groups, and you've heard me talk about life groups, but you've never done it. Maybe you've just never seen the importance of it. I want to remind you of the association that brothers and sisters in Christ, the affection, the attention. My wife, her life group will know all about her being in the, her mom being in the hospital and all the other circumstances of life. And there's just something about that. Of course, we study the Bible in our life groups, and we learn and grow, but we also make that connection, and it matters because we're to do the right things, but we're to do the right things together. So this has come, this has been a, uh, you talk about a surprise to me to find this out. I've been, uh, I've mentioned in, in the past that we're birders now, and I found out that birds aren't real. I just found this out recently. Birds aren't real. And they are actually just uh, drones that the government uses to steal your information and to spy on you. Did you know that? And if you, when you see them on power lines, that's the way they recharge. They're just on the power line recharging. That's what they're doing. Now, you think that's crazy, but this 23-year-old Peter McIndoo, he, he heard all of these uh, conspiracy theories, and he said, man, you know, people believe all kinds of... And he came up with what he thought was the most outlandish conspiracy theory. It's, it was on 60 Minutes recently. If you happen to see that, it's been in papers and, and such. And he just made this the craziest conspiracy theory he could find and said birds aren't real. And they, and they are. I mean, I, I think they are, but I mean, they apparently are. But he just got people. He just said, let's kind of point out the absurd by the absurd and point out conspiracy theories by this conspiracy theory. And let me just tell you one more conspiracy theory. And this is the craziest one yet. And it's among the Christian community. And it says this, we don't need each other. We don't need each other. I don't need to use my gifts and talents 
in the body of Christ. I don't need to care about the local church. I don't even need the local church. I can just do the right things on my own, and I don't need anyone else, and they don't need me. And I'm telling you, that's the craziest thing. And if you bought into that, I'm telling you, the Christian community has heard that so loudly. It, you, you're not getting that from the Bible. You're not getting that from, from the Holy Spirit. That is the world saying. That's the enemy saying. You, don't, you can just do it on your own. All, all that God cares about is you just do the right things. And the Word of God over and over reminds us we're to do the right things together. That we sharpen each other. That we strengthen each other. That we need each other. That God made us for fellowship. And the craziest thing in the world to say, we don't need each other. I don't need other Christians. And God made us with this need. And God strengthens us through that. And you need other people. And here's something just as crazy as that. Other people need you. You thought the first part was crazy, that you need other people. Other people need you. That sounds even crazier, doesn't it? They need you. And the body of Christ, the Bible describes it like a body and every finger. We, we need each other. We, we're different. We're gifted differently. But God puts us together for a purpose. So God wants us to do the right things, but one of the ways we do the right things is to do it together. And so God puts us in the body of Christ with the brothers and sisters who are imperfect people like you and me. And it gives us different gifts and backgrounds, and we come from different places, and we have different problems and issues, and God puts us together, and he sh we sharpen and strengthen and grow and there's a power to that. And so the Lord says, listen, I want you to see that you're brothers and sisters, and I want you to have some affection for each other, and I want, you to, I want you to see the association that we make and the attention that we need from each other so that we build each other up and so we lift each other up in a time of need so that we're there for someone else when they have their moment of need so that we care and so that we live life in a way that strengthens other people so that we're not just seeing the Christian life as just about me but we're seeing it about us that we see we have a role to help other people and that God wants us to participate in the lives of others and he wants other people to participate in our life and that when we do that we are strengthened together and so it matters so much Paul in his final words to the church at Corinth, the church that he loved, the church that he cared about, a church that he had poured into, says to them, don't forget about each other. Don't, don't forget about your relationship. Don't forget about the affection you need for each other, the attention of other believers from other places who are a part of the body but aren't there physically. We need each other. So do the right things and do the right things together. Principle number three, would you write this down? Do the right things, do the right things together, do the right things together with God's help, with God's help. So the Bible talks about this. Uh, let's go to verse 11, where the Bible says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace, and get this, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Man, that's powerful. The God of love and peace will be with you. He's not just saying, listen, go out on your own, do the best you can, good luck. Man, hope you can learn to rejoice some and have some joy in your life. Hope you can become mature, you know, kind of learn how to make decisions well and how to deal with life in a healthier way and learn the, the truth of God's Word and dig into the deeper things. I hope you can be encouraged, man. Good luck with all of this. I hope you get encouraged in your, in, in your discouraging world that you live in. Hope you can have the same mind. Good luck with that. And maybe you can find some peace in there. No, he says, the Lord, the God of love and peace will be with you. 
And he's saying, you're not doing this on your own. There's an old song by a group called Three Dog Night. They're a lot like Bruno Mars, except where they're different, they're like Bruno Mars. I mean, except for the differences, they're exactly the same. And they have this song that said, one is the loneliest number. That's the song, one is the loneliest number. And some of you know that really well in your life about one, how lonely one can be. Because you've said, man, when I go to, when I go to my job, there's not another single guy there who cares a lick about the things of God. There's nobody there who encourages me in my faith or ask about any of my spiritual development. Some of you are around a kind of the circle of your acquaintances. So you don't have anybody who's really growing deeply in faith. Some of you in your family. Maybe you're the only believer. And then you feel alone, spiritually speaking. And, and then you come across a verse like this where the Lord says, man, I will be with you. And I'm not just saying to you, hey, get out there and good luck. Hope you learn how to be encouraged. I'm right there, right there. The God of love and peace, the God who made the universe, I'm right there. When you give your life to Christ, the Bible says God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. He's not just out there somewhere. He's there. He'll be with you to help you to do the right things, to help you learn to do the right things together with people that are sometimes difficult to do together with. And he is there every step of the way. Notice, uh, skip down to verse 13, will you? The Bible says, um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I love this sort of trilogy, don't you? We see a little of the, we see the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So let's just note these three things. The Bible talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us grace. The Lord Jesus gives us grace. And grace is where God loves us even though we don't deserve it. He gives us the love that we, we don't deserve. So the cross is not God's response to our goodness. The response, the, the cross is God's love for us though we don't deserve it. So Christ didn't say, hey, you guys straighten up your life and then I'll, you know, I'll save you. He says, you can't straighten up your life, and I'm going to do for you what you could not do for yourself. And he gives us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you don't have to earn the approval of Jesus. Did you know that? In fact, you can't earn the approval of Jesus. He gives his grace freely. And when you trust Christ as Savior, the Bible says, God, by his grace saves us, not by our goodness, but by his goodness. And so... The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Man, Paul's saying to the church of Corinth, don't ever forget about grace. Don't ever forget how you'll never be able to work your way to salvation, but God just did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Don't think God doesn't care about you. The cross is the great reminder of the grace of God. And then he talks about the love of God. Man, the, God the Father loves us. God the whole loves us. His love is deeper than the ocean. I don't know how deep it is, but it's deep and it's deeper than that. His love is higher than the sky. I don't know how high that is, but it's, God's love for us is higher than that. God loves you. He loves you. And he's saying the love of God be with you all. Don't forget about God's love. The God who made the universe loves you and cares about you, and you matter to him. 
It's the love of God that drew me to himself. God loved me before I ever thought about loving him. And God cares about you, and God is reminding us in his word about the church at Corinth. Man, they must have felt in some ways, look at all the ways we've messed up and all the things we've done wrong. And even after we followed Christ, the church at Corinth had lots of difficulties and problems, and yet they never lost They never lost the love of God. He loved them and he cared about them and he reminded them in a thousand ways. And God loves you wherever you are in this journey of faith, whatever problem you're going through, whatever struggle or difficulty, God cares about you. The love of God be with you all. And then he says the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I love the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is close. God comes to live in you. That's why the Bible Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, not because your body is necessarily perfect and beautiful. In fact, if you live long enough, it begins to break down. But the Holy Spirit lives in you. When we say, where is God? He's he's here. And a believer, he's in your life. He's close. God isn't distant. The God who made the universe cares deeply about you, connected to you, lives in you. So we do the right things. God cares about the right things, of course, but he reminds us we do the right things together, but we don't even just do it with other people. God himself comes to us, and he helps us, and he encourages us. And I don't want you to ever forget that. So Paul says to the church, of course, man, he loved that church. He led a lot of them to the Lord, and he preached the gospel to them, and he saw them come out of that dark, dark culture to come to Christ. And he loved them, and he said, don't, don't forget. Do the right things and do it together. But God, man, he's, he's the one who's empowering you. It's not just your ability. He's the one who empowers you. He's the one who strengthens you. He's the one who helps you. Come on, you can make a difference in Corinth and beyond to the ends of the earth because of what God's doing in you and with you and for you. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? As we pray, if, you're, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want to urge you to give your life to Christ. The Bible says we need to repent of our sins. We turn from our sin. We, we acknowledge, we recognize that our sin is against God and that we're all sinners and we have a need for the Lord. We can't do it on our own. We can't reform our way to perfection. We need the perfection of the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for us and rose from the grave for us. Place your trust in Christ who died for you and rose from the grave for you. And receive him as Savior. Ask him to save you, and he will. Christian, could I, could I encourage you to, to put into practice these final words to the church of Corinth? Maybe God brought you here because he wants you to do the right things. And there's one of these that God's speaking to you about in particular. Maybe about rejoicing or about growing in your maturity. About being encouraged in him. About being of the, of the same mind, of really seeking the mind of Christ, or finding peace in this battling, warring world. Or maybe the Lord's speaking to you about doing the right things together. And he brought you to this place to remind you that we have an association and we have a connection with brothers and sisters and there's an affection that that brings and we're part of this big, giant team and God did not make us to do it alone. And it's crazy for us to think we don't need each other. That's, of the, that's, that's the world's mindset. God made us for fellowship. Or maybe he brought you because he wanted to remind you of his help. That it's not just fellowship with other believers that he wants, but he wants you. 
And you matter deeply to him. And he wants to help you in this journey of faith. And he wants you to know of how close he is. And that he is with you. And you are not alone. No matter how much you may feel alone. You are not alone. And he brought you to this place to remind you that he is there with you. And that you matter to him. And so, Father, I thank you for the power and truth of your word. I thank you for these final words in this great book of the Bible that remind us of important things. Help us not to, help us not to ignore final things. Help us not to ignore things that matter, things that count, things that last. Help us to listen carefully to what you're saying to us, not just to the church of Corinth long ago, but to us this day in this place with these needs so that we live out the faith that you've called us to live. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.